Welcome to Life Source Church. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or SoundCloud. Today you're going to hear a message from Pastor Walt that we hope encourages you. Well, it's a normal week, and you have been going to work. And about halfway through the week, your doctor's office leaves a message on your phone. And you get to it, and listen, and they say, would you please call with no other information? And so you call, and, and they say, uh, we'd like you to come in, because uh, we got results back from your test, a test on this test, and we'd like you to come in. Well, wh- what? <laughs> What's going on? No, we just need you to come in. And you come in, and they're talking to you, and they tell you that you have cancer and most likely it's very advanced and they aren't sure about the outcome for you. Now that would mess up your world, wouldn't it? It takes one phone call, one text message, one email to totally turn your life upside down and, and, and your world begins to fall apart. The world as you know it. You can they call you in the office and say, we're sorry, you know, that, but your job is done. And they let you go. But you're in a financial bind already. What are you going to do? Uh, relationship issues. Maybe it's a, a husband, a wife, a parent, a brother, sister, whatever. And all of a sudden, you know, they, it just really goes south on you. And, and it hurts so badly. And it's kind of what Dave's going to talk about in his class. And your world begins to fall apart and crumble. And sometimes it's a number of these things together that happen to you. And your world is falling apart. So what do you do when your world either begins to fall apart or has already fallen apart? How do you approach this? How do you make it through it? Well, let's take our Bibles and turn to the book of Psalms. We're actually going to look at two Psalms today, because really the second one is a continuation of the first one, Psalm 42. If you don't have a, a Bible with you, there's one under the chairs there in front of you, and we're going to be on, start on page 646, 646 in that Bible, and we do encourage you to follow along with us. So Psalm 42, and we don't know for sure who wrote this one. <clears throat> but, uh, yeah, just let me, let's just walk our way through this. So this starts off sounding really good. In fact, it sounds like the words to a song. (laughs) Because it is the words to a song, right? As the deer pants for the water brooks, so pants my soul for you, O God. I have a longing for you. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? And so it sounds like this is great. This is a worshipful song, but here's what's underneath this. Here's what's going on. Verse 3, my tears have been my food day and night, while they, whoever they is, continually say to me, where is your God? All right, so things are not going well in the psalmist's life. I think there's a good chance he would feel like his world has been falling apart. And, And the challenge is, you say you believe in God, where is he? Why isn't he 
doing something about this? Why isn't he delivering you from this? And then he says, when I remember these things, I pour out my soul within me. Now, he's not talking about here, I'm pouring out my soul to God at this point, although I'm sure that he is. But he's talking about what's going on inside of himself. When I remember these things, I pour out my soul within me. For I used to go with the multitude. I I went with them to the house of God with the voice of joy and praise with a multitude that kept the pilgrim feast. I used to do that. Life used to be good. Everything used to fit. Everything used to make sense. I used to be able to, you know, everything just was, had it all together. But not now. And it's a hard thing when you're looking at your life and, and, and you're thinking about the, how your life has been and, and you find yourself in a situation where it's a used to be. Have you ever found yourself in that situation? Life used to be and it's not anymore. And then he says these words. He's talking to himself again. Why are you cast down, O my soul? This idea of down, depressed, sad. And why are you disquieted within me? And that word disquieted, the the Hebrew word that's translated there is the idea of a rumble or a, um, some sort of a, it's it's not like really like a growl, but the, In other words, there's disturbance inside. I am disturbed. In my soul, I am disturbed. And then he says, hope in God, for I shall yet praise him for the help of his countenance. It's really pretty significant. We'll see why in a minute. So he just gave himself some good advice, didn't he? Hope in God, okay? His countenance is going to help me. Then he goes back, verse 6. Oh, my God. And he, so he talks to God. Now, my soul is cast down within me. Therefore, I will remember you. He's telling himself good things and praying good things. Therefore, I will remember you from the land of the Jordan and from the heights of Hermon, from the hill Miser. Deep calls unto deep at the noise of your waterfalls. So, by the way, this is where we find ourselves often in these kinds of situations where the emotions are high or low, as the case may be, and, and life is not going well, our world is falling apart, but then we, we, we say something good and right, but then we tumble right back into where we were. Have you ever been that way? Where you face something that's so difficult in your life, and you, you know what to say, Right? <laughs> Most of us would know the right words. If we were giving advice to somebody else, we would know what to say. And so maybe we give ourselves that advice and then we say, well, but, 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 and then come back to ourselves. And this is what he does. Because verse 7, deep calls into deep, but the noise of your waterfalls, all your waves and billows have gone over me. You know, I am washed out. I am wiped out here. And then he says, the Lord will command his loving kindness in the daytime and in the night his song shall be with me, a prayer to the God of my life. So that sounds, he's got it together again, right? Well, let's read on. I will say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As with the breaking of my bones, my enemies reproach me while they say to me all day long, where is your God? You see how real this is? 
Can you, you feel that? This is real life. And then verse 11, he says, Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you disquieted within me? Why am I so disturbed? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise him, the help of my countenance and my God. So here he is, giving himself good advice again. Then the next psalm, it just continues to roll. Vindicate me, O God, and plead my cause against an ungodly nation. O deliver me from the deceitful and unjust man, for you are the God of my strength. He's saying all the right things. Now it's like, why do you cast me off? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? So man, he just, he knows the truth, but boy, the world and life is getting him. And then he prays, he says, oh, send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill and to your tabernacle. Then I will go to the altar of God, to God my exceeding joy. And on the harp I will praise you, oh God, my God. And so it seems like he's, he is getting back to where he needs to be and how he needs to approach his life, even when it's falling apart. And then he says one more time, and I think with a different tone, a different attitude. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God. For I shall yet praise him, the help of my countenance and my God. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that it is so real to where we live. I pray, Lord, you'd speak to us today that you would speak to us, each of us individually, the things from your word that we need to hear and understand, and that we would already incline our hearts towards you and to say yes to you today. And I pray it in Jesus' name, amen. So, when your world is falling apart, what should you do? How should you respond? Well, right away here, let's go back and look. He says, why are you cast down, O my soul? He's asking, why am I cast down? Why, is, why am I so disturbed on the inside? What's, what's going on here? And so there's something that we need to, to think about. Because what he's doing here, I, I don't think it's, it's so much of a... I think this is a thoughtful thing. He's asking, why am I cast down? Why am I depressed? Why am I feeling down? Why am I so churning on the inside? Why is this happening? Okay? And so he's looking at what's underneath all this. What is he believing? What's he believing about God? What's he believing about life? And so the first thing we want to do when our world is falling apart, you want to challenge and change your unbiblical beliefs. Challenge your beliefs. Why am I feeling this way? Why am I responding this way? Challenge that. And then if you discover that, that what's underneath that is unbiblical, you need to replace it. You need to change it. Okay? Now, the scriptures. So you think about the scripture when it talks about how we face difficulty in life. And it says things like this. Be anxious for nothing. For how much? Nothing. Not to be anxious. Well, I'm anxious about everything, the psalmist says. Okay? Rejoice always. I am cast down. I'm not rejoicing. In everything give thanks. Are you kidding? 
Thankful is not on my list at the moment. This is what he's saying. Okay, and then be patient with all. You gotta wait here. I've waited, how long do I have to wait? That's what he says, why they keep, they keep asking me, they keep asking me, where's your God? And I'm wondering myself, where are you God? And so we find that where, where we're coming from in life and how we're looking at this approach thing does not match what God is saying. And so we wanna say, why is that? What is going on here? And it really, really is important because if we have unbiblical beliefs, it, it begins a downward progression in our lives. And so let's look at that progression. Okay, the idea is we start off, we recognize we have an unbiblical belief. Unbiblical beliefs, okay? Unbiblical beliefs then lead to unhealthy beliefs. Things that are going to work against you, not help you. And then unhealthy beliefs lead to unhealthy thinking patterns. Okay, so now you've developed this, how you think about everything. Have you ever known anybody who, you know, it didn't matter what you said to them, they could turn it into something negative? Maybe that's you. Yeah, but you get a pattern of thinking. There can be other kinds of patterns of thinking as well. Patterns of thinking is that uh, I don't matter to anybody, right? Nobody cares about me which then rolls over into, does God really care about me? So many things. So unbiblical beliefs lead to unhealthy beliefs, which lead to unhealthy thinking patterns, which lead then to unhealthy living patterns. We begin to make choices based on things that aren't true. We, we withdraw from people. We withdraw from relationships. We build walls. Or maybe we go the other direction and we get involved in relationships that are really unprofitable for us, trying to somehow rather get some security or significance. Um, sometimes people turn to, to drugs. Sometimes people turn to sexual immorality. So many things. But the unhealthy living patterns. And for many Christians, this unhealthy living pattern doesn't take the form of any of those really extreme things I'm talking about. It takes, uh, it takes the form of just finally just saying, okay, I guess this is just the way it is. And they just kind of build their walls and trudge along, never experiencing the life that God intends for them to have. And when we have health, unhealthy living patterns, that leads to more unbiblical beliefs or deeper held unbiblical beliefs and the actions that go with it. And so you can see this is a problem, isn't it? Okay. So number one, challenge and change your unbiblical beliefs. And so let's look, this is what he does here. Let's, let's look at the end of verse 43. We'll look at that one. But he says three times, why are you cast down? He, he talks about this. So he challenges, why are you cast down on my soul? Why are you disquieted within me? And then he challenged that belief when he says this, hope in God. Whatever it is you're hoping in, hope in God. Hope, where? Where? In God. Now, this word hope is important for us to understand. The idea is the hope in the truth of his, of his word, to hope in your relationship with him. But this word hope, you know, sometimes, you know, Glenda and I will talk about something and she'll ask me about something and I say, well, I hope so. And, and she's hearing right when I'm, what do you mean you hope so? We can't count on if you're just hoping so. And, but the word that's here, really, it, it means more than that. Even in the English word, the English word hope means the idea to look forward to with, with anticipation, something that you have good reason to believe is, is going to happen. 
or a good reason to believe is true. And so the Hebrew contains that word, is that idea as well. And so it's, it's more about, let me see, it is about faith and trusting God. Hope in God is about having faith in God, trusting God. But when I talk to you about trusting God, hope in God, I mean, excuse me, I have faith in God, trust in God, that can sound kind of generic, right? Those are generic terms, trust God, have faith in God. Whereas hope is about in these circumstances, in the circumstances in which I find myself, I am going to trust God. I'm going to put my faith in him in these circumstances. And so it's, it's almost like a, a personalized faith, okay? This idea of this hope. It's, it's my, I have hope because in these circumstances, God is going to do something. So hope in God. That's the antidote to this being cast down and to being so disturbed on the inside. And No, hope in God. Don't do that. Hope in God instead. Now, the Hebrew word also contains a concept which we aren't really fond of. And that concept is waiting. Waiting. So when the psalmist tells himself, hope in God, and that's what he's doing. He's telling himself, hope in God. Wait, I, I, why am I cast down? Why am I so disturbed? Walt, hope in God. Okay, that means I'm going to trust him in these circumstances, and that means I'm also going to wait as needed. Okay? Very, very important. So when your world is falling apart, a challenge and change any biblical or unbiblical beliefs. And then the second one is this. Remember that God is at work in your life for good. Well, that's a reason to have hope, isn't it? Then even in this, this, this worst scenario, piled upon piles upon piles of problems, God is at work in your life. And not just at work, he's in work, at work in your life for good. You know, it is natural to put your hope in something, right? Human beings do that. They find themselves in a desperate situation and they, they hope for something. But here's the deal. If you're hoping for something that isn't biblical based, right? And it's not what God says is true. And you're putting your hope in that. You're putting a hope in another person. You're putting your hope in your savings account. You're putting your hope in your abilities or your hope, whatever. You're putting, guess what that is? That's wishful thinking. It's just wishful thinking. It's not going to work. The, the things that you put your hope in have to be for God's good, for what God says is good. Let's look at that verse that we, a couple of verses we all like to, to you know, quote at times like this. Go ahead, Romans 8. He says, and we know that all, in fact, would you read this out loud with me? Read this out loud with me, ready? And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose, to be conformed to the image of his son. And that part's from verse 29. All right. This verse is popularly, I wouldn't say misquoted, but not sufficiently quoted. Have you ever heard anybody say, or you said yourself, we know everything works together for good? Right? Now, if, that, if someone's saying that with a biblical understanding of it, great. But far too often that's not what's going on. Let's look at a couple of things here. First of all, he talks about who is this promise for? 
Those who love God, those who are called according to his purpose. So first of all, he's talking about people who were saved. People who have come to that point in life where they realize that they were a sinner. They've sinned against the holy God. Their sins have separated them from God. They come to believe that Jesus is who the Bible said he was. That he, he was the son of God who lived a perfect sinless life. Died on the cross paying the penalty for our sins. And then rising again from the dead three days later. And then by faith, I'm going to trust Jesus as my savior for forgiveness for my sins. For all of them. For all time. I'm putting my faith in Jesus. I'm receiving him as my savior. If you have not done that, if you don't know Jesus, you've never made that decision, this verse does not apply to you. I mean, you can't say all things work together for good. How do you figure that? You don't know Jesus and your eternal destiny is hell. How do we get good out of that? Okay? You need to receive Jesus as Savior. It's crucial. The most important decision you will ever, ever make in your life. And you can do that right now in your heart. Say, oh God, he's talking about me and I'm, gonna, I'm trusting Jesus. Or you talk to us afterwards. We'd love to help you answer any questions you might have. All right, and the second idea, he says, those who, this, who love God. Remember what Jesus said, how, how we can know if we love him? He said what? If you love me, you'll what? You'll keep my commandments. You'll do what I say. You'll live by my word. And so this promise is to people who are indeed trying to live for the Lord. Live their lives for the Lord. They may have little information, but their heart is there. They may have a lot of information. And they're bringing that to bear on their lives. But it's not about being perfect, but it's about, hey, I, am, I do want to live my life for the Lord. In other words, you can't just go live your life however you feel like, you know, pursuing your own pleasure and your own, and, and, and your own, doing all of that kind of stuff. And then when something bad happens, think, oh, God will work this out for good. Uh, I'll talk a little bit more about that toward the end of the sermon today. Okay. But so this is really important. And then the other thing that we need to understand is what does God mean when he talks about good? And really, this is why I included the, the phrase from verse 29 there. When he says, he works all things together for good. And what is that good? It's that we would be conformed to the image of his son. That we would become more like Jesus. We would become more like Jesus in how we think about things. We would become more like Jesus in how we feel about things. That we would come, become more like Jesus on uh, how we respond to things. And we go on with that list. But it is crucial that you become more and more like the Lord. And that's God's plan for you. And that's what he says, I'm going to use this for good. In other words, this, this worst thing, it's all these things that are happening in your life. And I'm working them together for good. And we tend to think that means, oh, good, relief is in sight. <laughs> Not necessarily so, right? Because God has a greater good than your comfort in mind. Greater good than my comfort in mind. i got to admit, I like to be comfortable. Anybody besides me like to be comfortable? Do you have a particular chair or seat you like to sit in at home? You like a particular meal at a particular time? You, right? I mean, you can find something. You know, some of us like to walk in our gardens. You know, I love to sit on my deck in the morning. And I mean, so many things I want to be comfortable. Good things. But God, thankfully, believe it or not, this is thankfully he is willing to sacrifice my comfort so I can become more like Jesus. Okay? 
And that's what the promise is here, for good. Why, why am I cast down? Why am I depressed? Why am I so disturbed? Put my hope in God because he's, he's at work in my life for good. He's, he's changing me. He's changing the way I feel. He's changing the way I think. He's changing the way I act. He's changing how I respond. He's changing the way I see people and what's going on in my heart. He's changing me. And all, so when your world falls apart, if you know Jesus is your Savior, your world falls apart, what do you know? That God is what? He's at work. And he has the good ends in mind for you. All right. So really the idea is, is he changes you to be more like Jesus. That's not just about for future reward, though it will be, but it's about now because really everything else is going to flow out from that. The more you become like the Lord, the, more, the, the bigger the ripples are in your life for good things. Um, and by the way, I just realized, I don't want to communicate to you that God's goal is to make you miserable so he can make you like Jesus. <laughs> but I'm saying when your life falls apart, when the world falls apart around you, God hasn't abandoned you. He's gone to work on you. Okay? All right. So that brings us to the, th the third thing. Remind yourself that the story isn't over yet. God will show up for you. The story isn't over. Now, Think about this. Because he says, I mean, look, in, look at what he says. You can look in, in chapter 42, verse 5 or 11. You can look in chapter 43, verse 5. Either way, he says, hope in God. And then he says, for I shall yet praise him. Right now it's hard, but for I shall yet praise him. I, I'm going to praise him. Because what? The story isn't over. God will show up. And all through the Bible, this is there. You have Moses, who had an amazing miracle in his life. I, I guess it, it was God's miraculous working when, as a baby, he, should have, he was supposed to be killed, and he didn't get killed, and then he, he gets miraculously rescued out of the Nile River by Pharaoh's daughter. He's raised in Pharaoh's house. Uh, and then he, you know, about the time he's 40 years old, he makes some bad choices, and has to run away. He ends up out in the desert taking care of sheep for another 40 years till he's 80. And then when he's 80, he sees something. He sees a bush that looks like it's on fire, but it's not consumed. It doesn't burn up. Oh, the, the fire stays. And he, he goes to see what it is and a voice tells him, well, take off your shoes, Moses. You're on holy ground. What made it holy? The fact that God showed up. God showed up. I mean, here's Moses thinking, what's my life? And never became anything. I'm a nobody out here in the middle of nowhere. But God showed up. And we know the rest of that story. How about Daniel? As a young man, probably a teenager, he is taken captive by an enemy and, and put to work. Uh, by them and he has some real good experiences of trusting God in those early years and then we have many many years that follow and, and God used him but then we have like I'm guessing probably 40 years until he is 80 years old and he's praying like he has done every day for years 
And through some treachery of some enemies, he gets thrown in the lion's den for it, to be killed. It's capital punishment, basically, of a brutal, pretty brutal kind. You know, if, if, if I have to be killed for something, I'd just assume it'd be a bullet in the head, right, or something make me go to sleep. Getting eaten by lions is not at the top of my list, right? And could he rightly say, where are you, God? But he survived the night because God sent his angel and shut the mouths of those lions and they didn't attack him. They didn't even what? God showed up. God showed up in the Lord Jesus' life. Now we can say, well, he was God, yes. But remember, when he came a human being, he set aside the independent use of those divine attributes. Uh, he, so he lived like a human being with the spirit of God within him. And so he is, begins his ministry and it grows in popularity. The crowds grow and the challenge within the enemies begin to grow and the official opposition, right? The, the, the religious leaders begin to be against him and plot against him. And this all culminates in him being arrested and unlawfully convicted, uh, brutally, brutally, cruelly beaten and crucified laid in the, the, the grave and his disciples flee. You suppose somebody might have asked the question, so where is your God now? One day goes by, two days go by and what? The third morning. Jesus rises from the dead. God showed up. Guess what in your life? Whatever it is you're struggling with and dealing with, know that God will show up. And he won't show up necessarily at the time you think he ought to show up. He won't show up in the ways that you think he ought to show up. He won't accomplish the things that you might think he ought to do. But he is at work in your life and he will show up and do the things that need to be done in your life. The kind of things that you will, like I've had a few experiences in my life where I look back and said, oh God, please, I never want to go through that again. But, oh, God, thank you so much for what you taught me and what you did in my life through those things. It's huge. And I want to say something to you here that there are things that, at times which God shows up in our lives that we might not even know about. You know, who knows in your life where you have found yourself when push comes to shove it, but you made a decision to trust God and and he worked in, and you didn't even know what the outcome is. But you made a right choice, and God enabled you to make that right choice. And the ripple effects here, there, and there, you don't even know how far that's gone in life. God has shown up in your life, and he will again. So when your world starts to fall apart, remember, God absolutely is at work. The story's not over, and he will show up. You know how sometimes he shows up? You're laying on your deathbed and it's hard and your family's there and they're sad and you know it. And then at some point you close your eyes and you breathe your last and God shows up and takes you home to be with him. What a precious, precious promise that is. So, the third, the third thing here, remind yourself that the story isn't over yet. God will show up for you. And actually, let's just skip that slide, okay, Silas, if we could. 
And let's go to the fourth one here. Learn to see your situation through God's eyes. When your world is falling apart, learn to see your situation the way God sees it. So look at this. He says uh, in verse 5, we have to, actually this is the only difference in all of these, all three of these. Verse 5, at the end of verse 5, he says, For I shall yet praise him for the help of his countenance. And the other two times, like down in verse 11, he says, The help of my countenance. The help of God's countenance and my countenance. Now this word countenance is the idea of facial expressions that communicate mood, emotions, um, sometimes evaluations of what's going on, but it's showing in your face, right? When I was growing up, my mom, I've told this story, you know, she was 5'2 when she was at the biggest. By the time she passed, she's like 4'11 or something. Small little lady, seldom weighed over 100 pounds. Uh, and but even when I was an older teenager, sometimes something would go on, we'd be sitting at the table, all of us, and, uh, and my dad would spur us on, and we'd be start talking things you ought not talk about at the table, all this kind of stuff. And I'd look over at my mom. Anybody have a mom that had that, you know, that look? She could give you that look? You're sitting next to your mom, right? Okay. <laughs> Or whatever, the idea, the account, I, could, I, I knew what she was thinking. I could tell what she was thinking because of this expression on her face. And so was, how was she seeing what was going on? How was she looking at it? And it, it showed up. And so I think this idea here, when he talks about the, the God's countenance, my help, what he's saying is how is God seeing this that's going on? And I look in his word to find that. But how is he seeing this? And then... Uh, he helps me to see. He helps my countenance. He helps me to see this thing the same way that he is seeing it. Okay? So, that sounds all well and good, right? That's, that's a preacher thing to say. You need to see things the way God sees them. Okay. How do I do that? How do I see things the way God sees them? Well... I think there's three things that God has given us that are going to help us to see things the way he sees. And first of all is his spirit within us, his Holy Spirit in us. He lives in us. He works in us. Secondly, his word. Okay, the word of God. As we look in the word of God, we're going to see what God sees, how he sees things. Uh, and then the people of God. And by the way, the people of God aren't perfect, right? They, they may not always get it right, but when you consistently develop and cultivate relationships with God's people and the Holy Spirit in you and the word that you fellowship around, God gives you understanding. Now, there are things in my life that I've had experience with that you probably have, an experience, have not had experience with. And when those come up and we have those conversations, I help you. And the same when you help me, right? We, we need this. And so... Um, Second Peter, he says this, his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him and exceedingly great and precious promises. So his divine power has given to us how many things that we need? All things. Do you need to see things the way the Lord sees them? Do you? I, it's not a trick question. I know sometimes. I, I, I wish I never got that reputation. It's not a trick question. <laughs> Do you need to see things the way God sees them? And I don't mean, you know, omniscience, but yes, you do. Okay. God, his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. So God has given you what you need to see things. 
the way that he sees them. Um, it's through knowing him and knowledge of him, your relationship with him, getting to know him better and better. It's being in his word, this idea of great and precious promises. He's talking about the word here. And so uh, you've heard this, the, the stage, you know, make sure you live your life with your eyes wide open. Go into this with eyes wide open. Well, I want to say to you, there's, that's truth there, but I want to say I want you to approach your life with your Bible wide open. Approach life with the word of God open before you. Uh, and I would say that it's probably very likely or unlikely that you're getting too much Bible at this point. They say, oh man, my life's falling apart because I've been reading that Bible too much. <laughs> no, right? Just the opposite. You don't say, well, my, what I really need is to binge on Netflix for a while. That'll fix it. But, you know, the reality here is sometimes we, we do set us, when life gets hard, we set aside the Bible and turn on Netflix. But we ought not do that. We need to be in the Word. And we need to try to get more of the Word. Certainly that means our own reading of it. We need to be doing that. But I want to tell you that you need to hear the preaching of the Word. And I don't say this because I'm the one preaching. But if you are in a church that you believe this is the church where God wants you, you're watching, maybe you're in a different church, and you believe that you're in a church that, that God wants you to be in. If that's the case, then He wants you to be there and hear the preaching of the word because he puts it in the heart of a pastor for his sheep, for God's sheep to communicate the things that you need to hear. And sometimes, you know, I don't know if I need to hear that today. Well, God knows, right? God will work. And so you need and to be here. And I'm not saying you can't take vacation if you're sick or some special opportunity comes up. By all means, what a blessing it is nowadays that we have this live streamed or recorded and you can say, I got to hear what God has to say through my pastor or whoever they have up preaching today. Very, very important. You need to take advantage of things like Life Source U. Once again, when your world starts falling apart, man, the, the, the more depth in your relationship with God and your understanding of His Word, the better by a long shot. So take advantage of these Life Source U classes. Don't say, well, yeah, I don't do that. Do it. Well, I'm beyond that. I doubt it. Okay? Take advantage of those kinds of things and those studies. Because, guess what? In those studies, you won't be the only one there. There will be other believers there, and you will see them, and maybe you'll talk to them. Maybe you get to know and you start to have not only his word, not only his spirit work in your life, but you begin to have relationships with other people. If, if you're going to... When your world starts falling apart, that is not the time to try to begin building relationships. <laughs> I mean, you may have to, but that's, you want to have those relationships already in place between you and other Christians and the fellowship that you need. And so a consistent dose of God's word and God's people with the Holy Spirit in the mix will slowly but surely shift your perspective on life and fine-tune your understanding, and you'll make better choices. You'll respond better. You'll respond more quickly. You will have the support that you need to do these things. So, let's just do a quick review. When your world is falling apart, first, challenge and change your unbiblical beliefs. Second, remember that God is at work in your life for good. Third, remind yourself that the story isn't over yet. God will show up for you. And then fourth, learn to see your situation 
through God's eyes. Now, I don't know if anybody here has thought it, but what if your world is falling apart because of your sin? Okay, Walt, I get it. You know, the, the doctor calls and I have cancer. I lose my job and all that. But what if my world is falling apart because of my choices, my sin? How does that work? Well, what I would say to you is that it works exactly the same. And one of the things that you'll have to come to grips with when you change and challenge those beliefs is that I have been living sinfully. Confess it to God and go forward from there. It's the same. What an amazing God we serve that he so gloriously saves us and forgives us and never holds us again. There is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. So whether it's about life that's fallen apart around you or it's life that's fallen apart because of you, God has a way for you to respond that really will change everything forever. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that when our lives fall apart, whether through our own doing or not or a combination, that we can turn to you, that we can grow through it, that you work in our lives, that you show up when, when you know is best. Thank you, Father, so much that you don't show up when we think you ought to, and that you don't do what we think you ought to, but that you show up when you know is best and you do what you know is best for us. And we look forward to how you work in our lives and change us and the testimony that you'll give us for you and then for eternity with you and all the glory that that's going to be more than we even imagine. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.